Welcome back everyone. Today I am joined by Jonathan Taylor who is one of my consultant colleagues who works over in Bolton and we're going to talk to you about complaints. So uh, Johnny do you want to say hello? Hi, hi. It's, uh, it's nice to be joining you. It's all a bit strange though in these um, unusual times in which we live. Yes, very much so. So this is a bit of a first for us both. Johnny and I are trying to record this podcast remotely, which is a new experience, but we're, we're going to do the best that we can. Let's move on to looking, first of all, at why do we think people make complaints, Johnny? The reason people tend to make a complaint tends to fall into a, a number of, of areas. Obviously, the reasons for complaints are vast, but they tend to, to fall into a few categories. Most commonly, this is down to communication which hopefully is something that you guys have been drummed into you. If you are a good communicator, if you are pleasant to your patients and you explain things well, then they tend not to complain. Beyond that, you tend to get things like errors in your medical practice, medical errors. But whilst these are very, very commonly seen in things like the media and they get a lot of press and attention, in reality, medical error forms a fairly small part of the reasons people complain. But on the converse, they do tend to cause the largest payouts when settlements are agreed through litigation. Other areas are disagreement, which covers a fairly wide, wide range of things, such as where the patient has a perception of what should have happened in the department or what treatments they should have received and they ended up not receiving those rightly or wrongly. They do tend to cause a lot of complaints. Other areas are things like the environment, which you tend not to think about, but it causes probably, after communication issues, it's our second highest complaint reason. Things like full bins, dirty floors, fairly simple things, but do cause a lot of image issues for the department. And then things that you do, you're aware of, but unfortunately fairly rare, things like discrimination. In the modern NHS, this is, this is extremely rare. But yeah, so complaints tend to fall into one of those categories, sometimes more than one of those. Okay, so if we think then a little bit about how we can prevent complaints happening in the first place, I suppose the environment is a relatively straightforward one for us to do our part with. So if we're thinking about making sure our workspaces are, are tidy and clean and are well prepared before we bring patients into cubicles and that we do our bit in emptying shops bins and help the nursing staff with those sorts of tasks so they don't get overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's 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 very easy to to forget as a doctor that um it is also your role to to make sure that you are working as part of the team and if you have created mess to clean up your mess and if you see mess to highlight it or clean it yourself. Grand okay so environmental stuff we should probably do our, our bit and that should be relatively easy for us to do. What about those other causes of complaints though the communication and interpersonal type things? Yeah so I think the communication issues is probably the area that we can focus most of our energy on to prevent complaints. This Obviously, things like medical error we can strive to prevent by learning and continuing to develop and making sure that we know what best practice is. But in reality, it's often hard to prevent those because of simple human errors. Whereas communication is key, as I'm sure it's it's been drummed into into you guys, the to just being nice to patients, being pleasant and being open with them is 
the biggest thing that you can do to prevent receiving any complaints, making sure you're explaining to the patients what's happening at each stage, giving them a, a summary of what, what's going to happen going forward. And I tend to prefer to, when as soon as I've seen the patient, explain to them what I'm going to do and why I'm doing that. So what's, what potential differentials I'm thinking of and how I'm going to investigate for those. Because you can use that, that to, as a bit of a warning shot to the patient to, to sort of say, look, we might not find out what's going on with you today, but we're going to make sure that we are ruling out things that will kill you or cause you serious harm. So that when you get to the end of your consultation and you're sending the patient home, hopefully, even if you don't have a firm diagnosis for them, you're going to prevent a complaint where there's a, these, these disagreements at complaints, where the patient's expectations weren't met because you've already, I don't want to say lowered your, their expectations beforehand, but um, moderated their expectations, shall we say. Yeah, sometimes they just don't have an understanding of what an emergency department can provide in terms of investigation level or treatment level. And so helping align their expectations with the service that we can actually deliver will stop some of those mismatches happening that could lead to complaints further on. On that note, thinking about if a junior comes to you or one of the nursing staff comes to you about a patient in the department who is unhappy or upset when you're that senior who's on overnight I think communication plays quite a large part in in managing those complaints as well absolutely yeah and I think um it's very easy when you when it gets brought up to that there's a there's someone wanting to make a complaint to start forming a preconception before you go and try and deal with the complaint what I would say is that what often is raised to you as the senior as being a complaint in reality, ends up being feedback and often constructive feedback from the patients. It, patients usually don't want the hassle and effort that it requires to actually make a formal complaint. What they're looking for is their concerns to be addressed and identified. The best course of action, usually, if you if you hear about someone wanting to make a complaint, if you're the senior, is to is to go to speak to that patient and keep an open mind ask open questions and hear them out before you've made up your mind before going into them. And I think actually going into them is a really basic point, but a really important point. Sometimes if you're busy and you're reviewing lots of patients on the shop floor, you will almost feel as though, well, if they're going to make a complaint, let them make a complaint. This is the information for how they do it. And you might not realise that investing the time to go in and speak to them actually has a big impact on how that patient feels, how they view the experience that they've had and whether they actually do want to make a formal complaint or not. Absolutely. And sometimes it can just take a couple of minutes of your time to talk to them about what their concerns are, because it could be a communication error between the junior who's seen them and the patient as well and actually everything that's happened should have happened it's just not been communicated well between the two of them so sometimes they're very simple things to sort out yeah absolutely and um, the the numbers would suggest that roughly sort of 80 to 90 percent of complaints can be resolved locally if they're addressed properly at the time of the complaint being made and I often find as well, it's 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 quite easy to turn what could be um, a fairly um, acrimonious situation where a complaint is being made and actually turn it into a positive. If you go into the patient and listen to them and, and, and hear their concerns, address them, 
and explain why something is happening that they may disagree with. Often they end up leaving feeling more satisfied than they otherwise would have done. And you can actually turn a complaint into a compliment quite often. Okay. So let's think about what happens when we can't resolve those local conflicts. So you've been informed that there's a patient who is unhappy. You've gone in to try to mitigate that complaint and talk to them about what's gone on and they still remain really unhappy with how things are. What happens next? Yeah, so I think I think it's it's important just to define what is a is a formal complaint and a, com- a complaint can be made and if it's not resolved within 24 hours at local local level then it can constitute a formal complaint it can be made either verbally so they don't have to have put anything in writing if they've made a verbal complaint to someone with the authority to receive a complaint which essentially is any member of staff realistically and if they feel they're ill-equipped to, to deal with it then they should be raising it to someone at the time It can be written or it can be electronic as well, so email, obviously, in these modern times. If the complaint can't be resolved initially and provided, ideally it should be made within about 12 months of the event, but that time scale, whilst it used to be a fairly fairly fixed time scale, is now a lot more flexible depending on situations. Um, And if if you can't resolve the the complaint, then it is important to, to escalate it up. As a junior, you shouldn't be dealing with these. Even as a consultant, you won't be dealing with these in in isolation. And there's lots of services out there to to help you out. If you receive a complaint uh, that you can't resolve, then it's important to involve the patient advice liaison service who will guide you through the rest of the process. Every hospital will have a PALS office and they can be contacted either by the patients directly or by staff involved. And they will help collate responses and statements from both the complainants and the respondents. It's important to involve them not only for the support, but they will manage timescales because there are quite strict timescales on how quickly we need to respond to patients who are making a complaint. It might be worth having a just a refresher on that timescale then. So with the, the timescales involved, if you receive a complaint, you have a three working day limit to acknowledge that complaint. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be you as the person who's received the complaint, but the trust needs to, res, to respond within three de- working days. The acknowledgement isn't part of the investigation. It's essentially just a letter to the, re- the complainant to say, we've received your complaint and we are investigating. It used to be beyond that, that you had fairly strict, strict time limits. Those time limits now are a bit more open-ended. It used to be that it was prescribed time limits prescribed by NHS England. Now it is more of a, an agreement that is reached between the complainant and the respondents as to how long the complaint will realistically take and the timescales involved. So if it's a simple complaint, usually those timescales are shorter, typically within uh, a month, essentially. If it's a more complicated complicated complaint things like um, inherent discriminatory practice within the trust things that are don't just involve individuals or simple error they often do take longer to investigate and so the negotiation with the complainant will be to 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 form a reasonable response time for that okay so you mentioned then about statements as well Hmm. if we think about how involved individuals as new st3s are going to be 
with responding to complaints. Statements is probably the largest um, involvement in formal complaints that they will have unless they're doing this as something for their management portfolios. So they might be approached by junior members of staff who have had to make statements that they want some advice with or somebody just to read through it and they may very well have to write statements themselves. So what tips would you give them for statement writing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the 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 most important tip that I can give if you're you've been asked to to write a response to a complaint is to make sure you have copies of the notes. Make sure you, if you are making copies of the notes that they're held securely. You shouldn't be taking notes off site unless you're authorized to do so. But having a copy of those notes because although most places are now moving to electronic patient records, sometimes the system can go down. Notes go. AWOL, as I'm sure we're all aware of. So if you've got a copy of your notes, it makes it a lot easier to write a response with evidence because often these complaints will come whilst the time frame should be within 12 months. Sometimes it can be a number of years later that you receive a complaint. So your notes will be quite critical to to writing that response. When you're writing, it's important to be clear in your notes I find writing a response to a complaint, you should you should use similar language to how you write a statement for the coroner, as I think more people will have done, or a statement for police. Your statement should stick to the facts of the case. Ideally, those facts should be backed up by documentary evidence, but it is also reasonable to use what you recall but hadn't documented, as long as you're making clear what is documented and what is recalled. The complaint should the complaint response should be written in plain English. Write it as if you are writing to a layperson, because that's essentially who you are writing to. It'll go through trust level solicitors, all sorts of things before it reaches the patient, the complainant usually, but it often needs to be lay language with any technical language explained. And the more clear you can make it make your thought process often that response will stop a complaint in its tracks that's usually all that a lot of patients are looking for is an explanation of what's happened and evidence that there's been learning gained from it so i would certainly in a response to a complaint not only outline the facts of the case and what you did outline your thought process and why you made decisions that you made and If you feel that there's been either an error on your part or that you've not done something as well as you would have normally done, document that in the response as well. An apology and a complaint response isn't an admission of liability and it is often what the patients are really seeking deep down. So if you you feel it's appropriate to apologise, then apologise. Grand. To take that one step further, which is to say that all of these statements are then compiled later. So you shouldn't feel as though you should apologise if you don't feel that there's anything within your statement that needs an apology for, because often complaints won't just involve one episode of a patient's care. It can often involve their journey throughout 
their admission to hospital if it lasts longer and yet we as emergency physicians will often get tagged on to complaints that occur if the actual incident has happened elsewhere so if you do feel that everything that you did was your normal practice and that there was nothing there for you to apologize for it's not a mandated thing within a complaint uh, it may very well be that they were actually happy with your care and there's, there's something later on that they're actually seeking an apology for absolutely yeah so the the complaint responses that that we write will all go to um the person who's handling the complaint um with oversight by the responsible responsible officer which is usually the chief executive or the medical director so all of these responses will be collated and sometimes segments will be taken verbatim from your response and put into the overall response but what goes out to the complainant is a, a single document which addresses all of the, the complaint made and pulls in segments from all the statements so if you've apologized in the letter it may be that that apology is passed on to the to the complainant but usually won't be in the middle of the text verbatim as you've put it but I think if you feel that there's an apology that needs to be made, then make that clear because sometimes the person collating the response may not have direct knowledge of how the system works. And similarly, if you feel that you've done everything right, it's important to make that clear as well because, again, sometimes the person who's writing the overall response may not know what usual practice is in your, your area. Grand. Okay, so is there anything else on complaints that you feel you'd like to mention, Johnny? Yes, so I think there's just a couple of extra extra little bits to add in. Most people, when they, they write a complaint, will have specific points in the complaint, and the PALS complaint manager will often bullet those those issues so that you've got specific issues that all need to be addressed in the response to the complaint. And I think that's a good way sometimes to f format your response. If you, if it's a part of your practice that the complaint is involving, if you can answer the question posed by the complainant specifically and directly, then that makes it a lot simpler for the person writing the overall response to write it and makes the patient feel that you've listened to and addressed their concerns, which often helps at the time. And also if you have been the subject of complaint and you've recognised that there was an issue at the time, so contemporaneously when an issue issue arose, and as a result of that you've done some self-directed learning, you've attended teaching, or there's been you've escalated it to the department and there's been a departmental change in practice to prevent it from happening again, then that's worth putting in the response as well. And also in your portfolio on a note for that for trainees. So you have a section on your LCP checklist, which is about making sure that you've documented any complaints and compliments that you've had. So it's something for you to uh, reflect on and document and upload to your personal library so you can keep that on your e-portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think in summary from receiving a complaint, it's really important to not think of it as a criticism of you as a doctor of, of your practice specifically, but use it as constructive feedback. This has happened, and whether I think I was in the right or the wrong or not, there has been a mismatch in what the patient wanted to and what you've delivered. And it's always worth reflecting on that 
and seeing if there's anything that you can do in your practice or even better if you're looking for a quip topic if you can change departmental practice to prevent such things from happening in future great well i think that covers everything thanks very much johnny for recording this with me today thank you it's been uh, enjoyable and um stay safe everyone goodbye for now bye